One of my favorite activities is to play Jewish geography. When Rabbi Fenvis began serving this congregation, and I found out she was from Dallas, I looked at her and I said, I'm related to you. And she looked at me like I was nuts. Now, I grew up in the peninsula, but both of my parents are from Dallas, and I'm convinced that I'm related to everybody. So she put up with me for a few minutes, and within five minutes, I'd figured out that my grandmother regularly played bridge with her father. And then, in about six months, we figured out we actually were related, distantly, but by marriage, and I am related to Rabbi Fenvis. Now, why do I do this? Why am I drawn to this? And it's not just me. It's a very common thing that we do. We like to be connected to each other. We like to know that we're not just a single number in a big, vast, 300 million person country, but actually still part of a little tiny shtetl where I have family or members of my village all over this land, from Omaha to Boston to Dallas. And this is not just for Jewish geography. We do this with Jews in general. How many times have you either gotten the email or had someone tell you how many Jewish Nobel laureates there are. And just in case you were wondering, there's at least 194 Jews that have been awarded the Nobel Prize, accounting for 23% of all individual recipients. And just in this country from 1901 to 2014, it's 36% of all US recipients. And it makes me proud. Those, those are my people. We rattle off CEOs that have made it. Even my daughter, my eight-and-a-half-year-old daughter, in the middle of the hot summer, will listen to the Adam Sandler Hanukkah song to listen to all of the famous Jews. But there's a flip side to this. When Jews sin, when Jews sin, we become embarrassed. I can't tell you how many people came up to me right after the Bernie Madoff scandal and said, this is so embarrassing. This is bad for the Jews. Where does this come from? This is part of us. We think of ourselves as bound together. We are proud when there is a Jewish governor, but we're deeply embarrassed when that same Jewish governor from New York is caught in a prostitution ring. This feeling and this emotion, it didn't just begin for us since we came into America. It's been something which has been built into our tradition over thousands of years. In this week's Parsha, Kitavo, we see something fascinating. We're told what sins you, and that's you as the second person, should not do. But in the text, it doesn't just end with Moses speaking to an individual and telling them what they should not do. Rather, after each one of the precepts to the second person, the line says, and the entire people shall say amen. And according to my cantor I grew up with, Cantor Underman, amen can be translated as right on. In Deuteronomy 27:18, where we are this week, it says, accursed is one who causes a blind person to go astray on the road, and the entire people shall say, Amen. Now how we should understand this is that as an individual is told the law, 
And the community then is agreeing to enforce a ruling. Now what is fascinating is that following this part of the Parsha, we read that if a person does sin, the collective is punished. The Torah, it makes an incredible jump from saying that an individual's actions reflect upon all of you. When this one individual has led the blind astray, we are told, in 2823 from this week, your heavens over your head will be copper and the land beneath you will be iron. Basically, it's not going to rain and nothing's going to grow. The punishments are collective. We're being told what, that when that individual sins, the collective are held accountable. And we see how this is internalized. When a Jew does something atrocious, we stand up to it and we call it out and explain why this has no place in our midst. In August of 2005, a Jewish terrorist, Idan Natan Zada, got on a bus and he shot four Israeli Arabs. Prime Minister Ariel Sharon, within hours, got on TV and said, quote, the shooting was a reprehensible act by a bloodthirsty Jewish terrorist who sought to attack innocent Israeli citizens. This communal responsibility, it doesn't just lie upon the shoulders of an Israeli prime minister because that's fairly new for us, but it lies upon all of us. Since Deuteronomy, we began doing this and then we codified it with the Rambam in the 12th century in Spain, where we made it very clear that a person's actions are directed, directly reflected upon you. The Rambam writes in the Laws of Character in chapter 6, verse 7, that it's a mitzvah for a person who sees a fellow Jew who has sinned or is following an improper life to go up to him and to inform him what he's doing is wrong. And if he accepts the rebuke, it's good. But if he ignores what you say to the person, you're supposed to go to him a second time. And then a third time, and a fourth time, and you keep going over and over again until the person slaps you and says, I'm not going to listen. And the Rambam says very carefully here, whoever has the possibility of rebuking sinners and fails to do so is considered responsible for that sin, for he had the opportunity to rebuke the sinners. Dr. Erica Brown, a brilliant Orthodox woman on the East Coast, she points out that we see this all over our society, specifically if you look at how people interact with famous people. Think of Tiger Woods. When Tiger Woods had his big sin, everyone pointed their finger at Tiger Woods. And she said, you know something? It's not just Tiger Woods. There's no possible way that all of his carriers and everyone that takes care of him had no idea what was going on. But the thing is, Tiger Woods, he's a powerful person. And when you are a powerful person, you have the shadow of power. And everyone around you who's in that shadow then gets some of your power. And people are then afraid to say anything to him because if he kicks them to the side, they've lost their power. But in Judaism, we say the exact opposite. We see the same thing in friendships, that a person's friends, they know what they're doing is wrong, it's reprehensible, but I don't want to ruin my friendship. I mean, what am I to say? 
And the Rambam comes out clearly on this. He says, that is your obligation. If you don't go and confront that person, it's as if you have sinned. And many of us may be thinking, you have got to be kidding me. We have a few days till Rosh Hashanah, and now I'm responsible for all of the people around me. I don't have time for this. But you see, the thing about Judaism is that we are a people and a tradition that encourages feedback. Because there is no possible way for me as an individual to spend my entire life in the right path, or even know for that matter, if I have left the path. I need a web of people around me that it's going to be honest and kind and help lead me to a healthier place. If I don't have a mirror, I'm not going to know what I look like. And if I don't have a mirror, I have to go up to somebody and say, how do I look? For us, our community and our relationships have always been our mirror. This is why we lean on each other in Judaism. We know that we cannot do it alone. And we know that only when we are in a tight web of relationships can we hold ourselves up to this incredibly high standard. We play Jewish geography and we feel proud and we also feel ashamed because at the end of the day, we are responsible for others, like members of our own family, our own village, our own shtetl. This Shabbat Kitavo, only nine days away from Erev Rosh Hashanah, we're reminded that we not only have a responsibility to ask ourselves to give us feedback on how we've done this year, but also that we're obligated to confront others in our own lives. May these final nine days be revealing. Shabbat Shalom and Shana Tovah.